Hello and welcome to another edition of 8 More Miles, the Louisville Metro Council District 8 podcast. This is Councilman Brandon Cohn. Today is Tuesday, October the 2nd, and I have two guests this afternoon. My guests are both from the Center for Health Equity. They are Asia Barber, who is the manager at CHE, and Monica Leslie, who is the Community Engagement Coordinator. So first of all, um, ladies, welcome and thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. The theme for today's show, and we don't, we don't generally have themes. I usually invite our guests on here and we talk about sort of all the different things that they touch. But we, I had you all on the show today because I specifically want to talk about Our Money, Our Voice, which is the participatory budgeting project, this great experiment that we're really working on together and something that we've been trying to tell the public about for several months now. And we're right in the heart of it, and so I thought this was a great opportunity to, to have you all on and to talk about that. But um, before we launch into Our Money, Our Voice and participatory budgeting, which might be an unfamiliar concept for a lot of people, let's talk just a little bit about what the Center for Health Equity is and who you are. Like, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and, uh, and what you do at CHE. And I guess, Asia, why don't you go first? Sure. So I've been at CHE now for coming up on two and a half years. I'm originally from Texas, but I'm thrilled to be here in Louisville. Um, my background is actually not in public health. I have an undergraduate degree in political science and a master's degree in youth development that was really focused on the ways that institutional racism is traumatic and then how can the field of psychology embed an understanding of that into its curriculum, which is what led me here. And so did you, let me start to interject, did you just answer a, you were looking for city government jobs across the country and you saw an opening here in Louisville or is there something more specific that led you here? There was something really specific. So there's this running joke in the health department that there's a wave of Texas people who have come and I'm part of that wave. So my director, my former director at the Center for Health Equity was my graduate advisor. So all of my master's research was um, advised by her and supervised by her and she left me about six months before I finished my master's program to take the job as the CHE director and she was trying to build up a team and build a new program and there was a position that was open and I applied for it and got it and I've been here ever since. So how many years ago was that and where do you live and then we'll let you go. Two and a half years ago well I moved here April 2016 so about two and a half years ago and I live in Old Louisville. Okay. And uh, Monica, again, you're the Community Engagement Coordinator at CHE, so tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and um, what you do at the center. Sure. Um, Well, I started at the Center for Health Equity in February. Um, My background with participatory budgeting was actually through uh, a People's Guide to the Budget work that I'd done with the Kentuckians for the Commonwealth. And so that was really trying to find a way to take information. People don't really understand how budgets work or want to read another report about how things work. And so we worked with Jessica Bellamy from the Graphic uh, Grassroots Information Design Studio to come up with an infographic chart that really shows how local government makes decisions about how public funds are spent in a way that was really accessible and and fun for folks. And then um, what we really wanted people to take away was to make sure that they had that information and it could inform decisions about issues that they cared about. And so are you a Louisville native and where do you live? Just tell us a little bit more personally about your Yeah, I moved here a couple years ago. Um, I was building online courses for colleges 
and I was also an organizer through KFTC, and so I've been here for two years, and I just moved into Cherokee Triangle. All right, from District 8 resident. Yeah, so... I'm still getting a little bit adjusted, but I just turned my keys into my old place Sunday. So. Okay. Well, congratulations and, yeah. and welcome. Yeah, I, I, I can't go without saying that we're recording here at Curtis Creative, which is over in the um, Smoke Town neighborhood on Shelby Street, and they share some office space with Kentuckians for the Commonwealth. And I'm a former KFTC member and supporter, so you know, go KFTC. What a great organization. If you don't know about it and you're listening, you should go go online and learn about them and uh, you know, give them money and that kind of stuff. Um, so the People's Guide to the Budget, I remember um, I remember when KFTC came around the Metro Council Chambers, I can't see, when is that? Maybe the winter of this year, and presented the People's Budget sort of at one of those opportunities where you can talk to the, you sort of can talk to the council before our meetings start. And I guess the Guide to the People's Budget was really more an effort just to inform the public about what our budget process looks like. Because it is complicated. I write about it every year in my newsletter. It takes several months, and we're dealing with a lot of money. And and it seems like what you try to do in the People's Budget is sort of break down the process so people can understand it. And then what we're going to do here in participatory budgeting is take that one step further, teach people about how it works, and then actually give them some control, some real control over how the money is spent. So you want to talk a little bit about, you know, some of the fundamentals from that you learned from your experience with KFTC and, and why participatory budgeting is just another next step interesting to you? Sure. We actually learned about participatory budgeting from the New Economy Coalition, and one of the steering committee members that's assisting with this process, uh, Siobhan Evans, actually brought that process here to Louisville. And so what the goal was was to start pushing to make this a policy to really democratize public spending so that residents are provided with an opportunity to not just communicate what their priorities are, because we we see the Metro Council meetings, we know that voices are being, ex, you know, they're expressing what's important to them, but the shaping of decisions, when we look at the history of Louisville, um, really from the reconstruction you know, in segregation policy, like how that has shaped who's been allowed to make decisions, one of the things that we used um, with the People's Guide was to research how much investment is going into the East End versus the West End, because that was a concern that folks had. And what we actually found was that a considerable amount of the city's budget goes into the West End in the form of policing. And so um, when we looked at the cost of interventions for actually getting to root causes to mitigate the need for policing, that there were solutions that were found that, that residents had that were actually really great solutions, but the decisions that were being made were made by people who had already had access to capital and power. And so we wanted to look at other cooperative models that have been piloted in other parts of the nation and even internationally that could be used here in, in Louisville to create real solutions to historical systemic issues. So it was really, it was really sort of a policy making and advocacy tool. And when you talk about you know, using it to make decisions, that's in the form of getting people to contact their Metro Council person, for example. It's still that sort of representative, you know, democracy as opposed to the kind of direct action that we're trying to aim for here in participatory budgeting. Do you want to, Asia, sort of, you know, we'll zoom out a little bit and talk about what participatory budgeting is and how it became 
something that was of interest to the Center for Health Equity in the first place. Yeah, so there's a really interesting story that's connected to the People's Guide to the Budget in KFTC as well. I'll start with what participatory budgeting is. I'm going to call it PB for okay. short. PB. So PB is essentially a five-phase process where community residents get to not only decide how tax dollars are spent by voting on that, but they also get to even submit those initial ideas for it. So the five phases is designing and planning what the whole process even looks like. And then we collect ideas, which is where we're at right now. So we go into, we knock on doors, we go into existing events, we create our own events, and we ask anybody and everybody who we can talk to, how would you want to see $75,000 spent in your neighborhood to improve your neighborhood? You know your community better than we do. Um, And then we work those ideas through this, this third phase called proposal development, where people are able to really work alongside Metro government and figure out what does it actually mean to take an idea and turn it into something that's implementable? Um, What's the actual budget for these kinds of ideas? How long would it actually take? Who would be responsible for doing that? And the ideas that are eligible, right, we've got a little bit of an eligibility criteria because we have a budget, then move on to the ballot, and then residents are able to vote on that. I will say one of the best things in my mind about PB and the voting process in particular is that it's a little different from how people traditionally understand voting because really anyone can participate as long as you're a resident. We have some rules, so 14 and up, um, but you don't have to be documented and a felony on your record doesn't stop you from being able to vote. Mm -hmm. All we need to know is that you live in one of the districts that's eligible. Right. So, I mean, you sort of explained this is like an election for capital projects and the people that live in the area. So this is a pilot project that Mm -hmm. we're testing in district eight and also in district six, which for people listening, that's um, it was sort of, it's old, everyone knows Old Louisville sort of the, the heart of District 6 geographically, but then it extends west to California, California and Victory Park, Victory Park, Park Hill, Park. Taylor Berry. And so we chose to um, pick two districts that were uh, similar in some ways and dissimilar in some ways. Um, one of the things that they have in common that I think is really important for us to be successful is that both District 8 and District 6 Uh, by and large, have really strong neighborhoods and very strong neighborhood organizations. Now, that's not true equally across the board in both District 6 and in District 8. There's parts that are still better organized or less organized or more resourced or less resourced than others. But that's one of the fundamental reasons why I really really fought to have District 8 um, participate in this from the beginning because I think we're ready for it. It's also something that's just been part of my own sort of strategic plan um, from the beginning. But, But as we were saying... This is like an election for capital projects, and the people get to be involved in every part of the process from nominating their candidate, meaning you know, picking what idea they, they want to spend money on, to then sort of building out that candidate's platform, so to speak, coming up with the details of what the project looks like. And then I guess ultimately, is there, is there, um, you know, is there a sort of a campaign phase where people are arguing for their project before the actual vote comes and and people decide what we spend the money on or not? How does that sort of talk a little bit, you know, more in depth about the different phases? Yeah, yeah I'll talk a little bit about it. And then if Monica, if there's anything you want to interject with as well. Um, so we will have 30 days at a minimum for people to vote. And what we're really wanting and something that we've seen across other PB projects across the country, which there's only a few of them, is that people who were able to submit those ideas and even some of the volunteers who worked them into the full proposals get really connected to them and attached. And so as we host 
what we're calling expos. So really think of like a science fair where you go in and there's the poster boards that have all of the information on it. That's what we'll do for all of the ideas. So, and we're, so we're working backwards right now and sort of yes, describing what the process looks like. We're exactly. starting with election not election day. We're starting with election month. Exactly. Okay. The campaign yeah. for it, right? Okay. And so people will then, who it were who submitted the idea initially or who worked that idea, will be able to attend those events and talk to people and tell them why their idea is so important and how it's going to impact their community and the, ne- the necessity for that. Right. So, you know, you should vote for the new playground at such and such elementary school or you should vote for planting a whole bunch of trees at this location or that location for these reasons. You get an ch- opportunity to make your case as people sort of look around and shop for a, for a project to vote on. Absolutely. Well, let, let's, Monica, why don't we skip to the, to the, to the beginning instead of the end. There, there's really sort of a beginning and a pre-beginning. The pre-beginning where you talked about, we've actually recruited people to design the process, which is a little boring for me and some people <laughs> who are not so good at project management like you guys. You all are really excellently organized and you're, you know, this project is, is accomplishing so many things on so many levels for the Center for Health Equity and for government and for what we're trying to do sort of big picture inside baseball-wise. But... For the people that are listening, let's just assume we've now come up with this fair, democratic, equitable process to really reach out and engage all sorts of people who aren't usually engaged. We're now in the phase where we're trying to collect ideas. And I think that's where everybody, whether they have any expertise or specific background or skills or not, is interested in participating. So when did idea collection start? What does that look like? And what opportunities are left for people to, to, to put forth their ideas? Sure. We kicked off the project in August 29th, but um, prior to that, we've we actually worked with community partners and with residents. Um, we reached out to every neighborhood that we had contact information for, um, and w- folks with special needs as well, uh, to make sure that they had representation. And so, um, we pub- the Center for Health Equity actually publishes what's known as the Health Equity Report that maps the health outcomes and the demographics of who's in Louisville. And so we wanted to make sure that in this process of civic innovation that we used evidence-driven methods to make sure that we were reaching the people who should be represented in this process. And so um, part of that is that in that discovery of learning what the barriers were that people faced for why they weren't as engaged with the electoral process is that we had sections of the city without internet or there were language translations or um, people needed the, you know, ever, if anyone that's ever used a government website will talk to you about issues that they've had navigating that, but it's even more difficult for someone with a screen reader. And so we did a lot of work on the ground prior to kicking off the idea collection to make sure that we were understanding what those needs are so that we could do real democratic engagement. Mm -hmm. And so then the steering committee, once they had access to that information, they were able to shape the rules about how to make this a fair and accessible process for all of the folks who were involved who can contribute something of value. And the, the cool thing about these ideas that are collected as we move into the phase with proposal development, they're gonna have an opportunity to build the capacity to learn, 
you know, we're going to be learning from each other about what are some of the barriers that folks have when they're trying to get their ideas through, when they want to, why are ideas moving forward? And so this is an opportunity for us to not only learn about the needs and priorities of residents, but also what are some of the barriers or what are some of the reasons that, you know, they could be legal, it could be feasibility, it could be that the folks who should have been able to provide feedback didn't know it was happening because of where they live. And so this process is really helpful in helping us understand um, what does the community care about and how can we create more opportunities for them to shape real decisions about how they're impacted by decisions. Yeah, and it's really interesting because, you know, the the month-long sort of voting period we talk about, it's so much different than just election day when you go to vote who's going to be the president of the United States or something like that. The barriers to, to entry are much lower. Now, they're still secure. You still have to live in District 8 and have some sort of proof of residency and be 14 years or older, which is great because it's going to engage so many high school students and their families in the process. Um, but it captures so many people who other, otherwise are left out of the process. And like we've talked about, understanding who our audiences are, it's led to different sort of outreach strategies. I've talked time and again how, you know, I'm going to be able to capture so many ideas here in District 8 by and large through an online form because so many people are plugged into the newsletter and social media. And by the time this episode airs, people will be able to go to OurMoneyOurVoice.com and uh, click on the form and, tell, and submit your idea. It'll be that simple. However, what we what you all learned is that there are huge swaths of our two districts uh, where that's that's a problem because of the digital divide that you mentioned. And so, for example, you're doing a lot of canvassing, door-to-door sort of activity on weekends and evenings to reach some neighborhoods and some populations that otherwise uh, might not know this process was even going on. So, I mean, it's it's a real a credit and testament to the the values that underlie this. this. This is not just a competition. It's not just a competition who has a better you know who who has more who has more might, Group A or Group B. So um, um, let's see. So idea collection is ongoing. If you go to the website, you can submit online. We're also doing a variety of sort of pop-up events, and we're experimenting. There's no sort of right way or wrong way to do this. Can you talk about some of the the events that we're doing in District 8 where people might see us or see our booth or have the opportunity to go talk to us in person between now and you know, sort of the end of October or whenever we're, we're wrapping up the idea phase? Yeah, there's two main events. So um, on October 10th, we're in October already, on October 10th we'll be at the Highland Shelby Park Library doing idea collection. It'll be a combination of come see us in this particular room that we're in and also if we just see you walking around, we're going to come up and we're going to ask you what oh, ideas cool. you have. Um, and then also we'll be with uh, MAF Gallery, which is just technically outside of your district. It's on the west end of Barrett, but uh-huh. they very much consider themselves part of the community. And so we're really excited to host an idea collection event there. And is the, has a date been set for that one yet? Not yet, but okay. we're thinking it's going to be on October 20th. But okay. that, again, will be confirmed and they'll be able to find that on our on the calendar. website. Yep. Yep. Yep, and then we'll also be at Cycluvia, which we're so excited about because this will be my first time at Cycluvia, but lots of the folks who are going to be canvassing with us, they've been several times before. So how I understand it is there's a start and an end, and there's lots of particular areas that are really important to the event, and so we'll be all over collecting ideas. Yeah, and also, and I'm really excited about this one because Cycluvia stretches for miles along Bardstown Road, and um, we set up 
shop there at the corner of Eastern Parkway and Bardstown Road in order to collect feedback for the Bardstown Road sort of study that we're doing to talk about how to perhaps change the traffic lanes and all that kind of stuff in some way. And I think we collected like 400 or 500 responses over the course of the afternoon. So we're all praying for very good weather on... um, October the 21st. I have a couple other... Mm-hmm. Aren't we going to pop up at like the Belknap Fall Festival? We are. And the Big Rock Jazz Festival and some of those sort of just little neighborhood events that are going on in the month of October? We are. Yeah. Pretty much every event that is happening during the month of October, we have somebody who will be there collecting ideas. And I, I will add that if you're a neighborhood leader or somebody who's... Anybody, a neighborhood person and you're interested in us coming to you, we had a pretty successful event with the Seneca Vista neighborhood a couple weeks ago that uh, sort of illustrates what's possible if you give us enough time and heads up to come to your neighborhood picnic or potluck or meeting or whatever it is. Um, Monica, do you want to talk a little bit about about what the Seneca Vista uh, neighborhood event was like? Were you there? Weren't you there? I wasn't there, but my colleague Clayton was. And so he and Ginger Wallace, some of you may know, um, they actually were at that event and had I've heard had some really great conversations and collected ideas from residents about things that they would like to see. And I didn't know very much about Seneca Vista before um, I looked through some of the ideas that were submitted. And um, I think because most of the neighborhoods that I've had contact with in District 8 have, you know, they're very close knit or they're close to Cherokee Park or Highlands Douglas. I didn't realize like some of the needs on sort of the outskirts of the district. Yeah. And so it they were very, very engaged, and, like, we love Patty. Like, she was such a great um, person to work with. I talked to her a little bit offline as well. But um, we're excited to hear, you know, to see the level of engagement that's been happening, and Seneca Vista really represented the district well. Yeah, but sort of two, two shout-outs. One for Ginger Wallace, who lives in the original Highlands and is the is the chairperson for the steering committee and has put in so much time and effort in this. And you, just, you want to just briefly tell, what, who's the steering committee? Where we get them? What's it look like? Oh, my goodness, yes. The steering committee is incredible. I cannot say enough good words about them. So Monica did a lot of research on organizations that serve people in these different districts, residents themselves. And so we have people who represent either the neighborhood as a resident. We've got folks who live in public housing, and we've got folks who are president and vice presidents of neighborhood associations. Right. And they're who doing all that sort of invisible hard process oh work goodness. that's made this work in the first place. Yes. Uh, so that shout out number one for Ginger, shout out number two for Patty Payette mm-hmm. and the entire Seneca Vista Neighborhood Association. Seneca Vista is the um, self-appointed name of a small collection of streets uh, near Bowman Field. It's one of the smallest little neighborhoods in District 8, and it's one of the newest neighborhood associations mm-hmm. to be formed. So since they got organized last year, they've been really active and had a bunch of great ideas. And my notes said that there were 40 or 50 people at their picnic, and they collected seven ideas and um, 127 total engagements, which must mean, you're the, what, is the, what does that mean, 127 <laughs> total engagements? You're the so those engagement are, coordinator. Yeah, those are the folks that we talk to. So the number of properties that we've visited far exceeds the actual like ideas that we collected. And right. So those are folks who are aware of the process. They had some interest or feedback. And they've taken forms, and so they have a point of contact to be able to submit those ideas. But that that's really the work that measures the contribution of the volunteers who've contributed to this process. Um, that we have more, that's what we were able to measure and provide uh, to date. And then um, I w- did want to add one shout-out, is that you have some Atherton High School students oh oh, yes. who have, like, 
I was really impressed. They showed up to our volunteer orientation, the last one, and talked about how they had been working with their student or their faculty advisor, and they have actually started teaching their class about the process of participatory budgeting. And so they're working with other high schools in the area to coordinate and assist us, even with canvassing. So the level of civic engagement that they have, um, you know, and the like love that they have for their community, but also of being a part of something bigger than themselves is just really inspiring. And I have to admit that I like the horse race aspect of this, you know, that's sort of criticized sometimes in politics where we don't focus on the, um, in government where we focus on the substance, but on the race itself. But the, you know, the Atherton High School student body is a force to be reckoned with if, you know, the Cherokee Triangle or the Bloom PTA or the Douglas Community Center group or any of these groups who are well organized and have projects already think they're just going to come in here and own this process. Those, those students and potentially the students at Assumption and other sort of young people and groups that you might not think of have a, a big ability to determine where this money is going to go. And I'll, uh, this is a good point for me to say, Asia mentioned $75,000. I'm doing everything in my power to raise $50,000 more so that both District 6 and District 8 have $100,000 to work with. Um, I put $50,000 from my annual CIF budget towards this. The CIF budget's $100,000, and so did President James. And then the Center for Health Equity matched our our $50,000 contributions with roughly $25,000 each, which sort of gives us to that 75 number. And we've been trying to raise funds through the philanthropic sector from corporate support, anything we can do to get that last 25 each. And I really am convinced that the $100,000 will allow us to take this to another level. So if you are a a business person or you're a philanthropic individual and you're listening to this and you want to be part of this great project, it's not too late. We would love your help. You can contact me and and, uh, we'll make sure that you're a a vital partner in this going forward because, um, Asia, the idea is not just to do this once. This is a pilot project. So what what does sort of the long road ahead look like if we're able to be successful with this? Yeah, so I want to take us back just a little bit to talk about how CHE even came to do PB. Sure. So when in October of 2016, we hosted a policy summit. It was a three-day summit called My Dream for Lou, where about six to eight months prior, we engaged residents across the county and asked them, what's your hope for Louisville? What are your dreams for Louisville? And we got a, we got lots and lots of responses and really developed our agenda based off what people said and asked people as they were at the event, so these are your dreams for Louisville. What are the things that are standing in the way? And then let's focus on that and develop some uh, develop some solutions for it. So we had four different teams of people who were doing work during the summit, and two out of four of those landed on participatory budgeting as the solution that they wanted CHE to move forward. And we definitely credit that to the work of the People's Guide because I think that the work of KFTC around participatory budgeting was happening maybe just weeks before that. And so that really organized residents to say this is actually a direct, real, tangible solution that we want. And so the last two years has been us benchmarking and trying to figure out what does it actually look like to do this here and finding support, um, working alongside you over the last eight months. So we are here right now in our pilot project. This is a test for us to do this always, to continue to do this, but to figure out what does it actually look like? What are the barriers for this to be successful? What are the reasons that this will be successful? So that we can move this into a, a way that Metro does business. So one of our 
benchmarkers, one of our best practices is Parents Paris France, mm-hmm. who 5% of their total budget is participatory. And if we do 5% of our budget here, that's $40 million. Wow. I mean, you know that better than I do, yeah. the, the total. Um, and that is an incredible amount of money for people to be able to say, this is how we want to see that spent. And not just tell your council person, this is how you want to spend it. You get exactly. to vote and spend it. Right. Exactly. I mean, I think, you know, that's obviously not going to happen next year. Right. But I guess if we're successful this year, then maybe we expand to a greater number of districts in year two. And, mm-hmm. and we start to set the goal for when we have a citywide project. Exactly. And I'm, I'm hopeful we're going to be successful and... That's why we're doing this. I will add, while we're talking about contributions, not only is the health department, the Center for Health Equity, donating a lot of staff time, you all have spent serious money yourself. You spent mm-hmm. it, not just the $50,000 to help match the, the project grants, but... $60,000 for technical assistance. $60,000 for technical assistance from a leading um, national organization to work on this. And so, you know, we could have done this... I could have done this in my office, just sort of fly by the seat of my pants and, you know, come up with a, a, a couple of different ideas and a way for people to informally vote on something. But the sort of the integrity and the quality that's been built into the process is something we couldn't have done without our partnership. So we're thrilled about that. Uh, so we've got all the ideas now. The, 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 the idea um, collection process closes sometime at the end of October, we think, um, at which point I guess all the ideas will probably be collated and maybe put online and somewhere for people to see. And then it's, it's and, and really, we could get 500 different ideas, or my theory is that I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people with the same idea, and certain projects might rise to the top, and you know we might get two dozen ideas, I don't know. But what does the proposal development process look like? Help us understand what happens between, all right, we've got everybody's comments. What happens between we just vote on them? Sure. So this is a this is also a volunteer-driven part of the process in which you, if you've submitted an idea and you want to make sure it moves forward or if you want to learn how Metro makes decisions about ideas, um, one, Metro will not be making the decision, but we will be working to build the capacity of folks who want to know how that process works. So we actually, the steering committee has come up with some guidelines for how each idea will be assessed to make sure that it's eligible for voting. So that's, is it feasible, the cost, um, is it legal, you know, there's sometimes legal things that make it, you know, maybe it's the jurisdiction of the railroad, maybe it's the jurisdiction of the state. Mm -hmm. So really, this is the opportunity for you to work with metro agencies to learn what are some of the decisions that go into determining whether or not an idea can move forward. And the ones that are eligible uh, for these expos that happen prior to voting will be um, a way for you to, in a very transparent way, see how the ideas were assessed. So if there's a playground versus a, a, ch- a ramp for strollers and wheelchairs, mm-hmm. you can assess the cost of that and who it's going to help and you know make decisions rather than campaigning for an idea in the way that we do electoral voting where it's kind of like whoever hollers the loudest wins. Right. You actually get to be able to make informed decisions and also see the research questions that come up because I'm sure that there are always, anytime that there are decisions that are being made with public funds, that are gonna come up about, well, why was this decided this way? And so this is the opportunity to really see the level of thought um, and contributions that have been made to developing these ideas. And then one thing that we're gonna be doing that doesn't typically happen with the Metro process is making sure that we're following up with folks 
when ideas do or don't move forward so that folks know that the idea has been worked on because I think that a lot of the criticism that government gets is that people tell their idea they don't know what happened to it right. and so the the low this creates a, a mechanism for following up with residents about if an idea can't move forward you at least have that information why but also it doesn't mean that it can't happen if it doesn't happen in this process that it's not important and then it can't be redirected to other initiatives or other sources of funding so the, that one of the biggest reasons to submit your idea whether you think it's eligible or not is that it helps us know what your priorities are oh, yeah. so that if it's something that we can't fund in this process but it's important and we understand and there's probably consensus around that that we can have that information we know that it's from the community it's what the community wants and that you can hold us accountable for finding ways to get that maybe it finds its way into next year's city budget or right. into uh, you know some kind of partnership where council people work together to use discretionary funds or next year's participatory budgeting project. So, Okay, so that's really cool. Um, so the ideas are all in, the proposals have been developed, and uh, who does the work to make, you said volunteers do this. We still need volunteers, isn't that right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. The process is successful with the contributions of people like you, like me. I mean, I was an organizer from the community and so now I'm doing this work a little more full-time now, but the folks who have really contributed and, and helped us get as far as we've been able to in such a short amount of time have been people that have been incredibly generous mm -hmm. with their time. And but, but we could use, so if, if anyone from Bellarmine is listening and there's college students or professors or anybody from the Presbyterian Seminary and there's college students or anyone who's retired or anybody who has a background in any specific skills or is, it, is there sort of a variety of roles that you don't have to be an accountant to do this right. you can be anybody yeah okay well, even folks that go to networking events that are looking to build skill sets i've found that some of the folks who have contributed the most like i know zishan body is somebody who he attended a lot of networking events and did a lot of community service with mosque but the skills that he's learning in project management and you know, he, he was like, I think I'm going to school for this now. You know? Yeah. So um, Ginger Wallace is like, I'm trying to decide what I want to be when I grow up. She and she's often. been spending more and more time with us because it's been edifying for her. And so um, I think that this is a great way to learn what development work really looks like in a meaningful way. And I'll also just add, you know, speaking of volunteers, we also are very much taking internships. And so I know that there are lots of people who are wanting internship opportunities, especially for the spring. And so we are building that for people and welcome folks who yeah. want to. And my intern, Clara Wilson from the University of Louisville, is uh, participa participating in this. And we're mm -hmm. thrilled to have her help and welcome the help from uh, other students at UofL and outside of District 8 and District 6 as well. Mm -hmm. So if you want to volunteer, please contact my office. You can also go to Our Money, Our Voice and find a forum where you can sign up to get involved. Um, we need, let's, what do we need? To be, in order to make this as, I know we could really burn the midnight oil here and get it done with a dozen volunteers, but we could probably use 20 more Absolutely. to really have the, the, the full power that we need. So we need 20 volunteers and $50,000. If anybody can <laughs> do both of those things for us, we'll put you in the District 8 Hall of Fame. But um, In your weekly shout-out. Yes, right, <laughs> until the end of time. But we're running out of time here. Uh, I, I'm really excited about this project. I think that it is a great way to, you know, build civic muscle mm -hmm. and teach people how to do things for themselves and to learn more about government. And it's definitely going to result in a lot of cool ideas and a project that probably I wouldn't have just think of sitting by myself. So any last minute words before we let you guys go? And I know you're literally running from here to 
a volunteer, volunteer orientation. orientation session yes. at 6 p.m. at the Public Health and Wellness Center. Yes. So we're working hard on this. I hope listeners find this interesting and, um, and, and, and reach out to us and get involved. Last words from either of you? Just that we're so thrilled to serve the community in this way, and we're really excited to work alongside them to do what they've asked us to. Monica? I think that you all have captured it. Thank you for the opportunity um, to serve. And, you know, I'm happy to see this work move forward and excited to get to know more of you and learn more about your priorities and hear some of your excellent ideas. All right. So our money, our voice, the participatory budgeting grand experiment. And our guests today are Asia Barber and Monica Leslie from the community for the Center for Health Equity. Thank you all for being here. Thank, Thank you, you for, for having, having us. us. Take care. Thanks for listening to 8 More Miles, the Louisville Metro Council District 8 podcast. I'm Councilman Brandon Cohn. Please stay in touch with our office. Visit our website at www.tinyurl.com slash cmconed8. And once you're there, please subscribe and stay informed to receive our biweekly e-newsletter.